0: welcome back to arab american psycho my name is noor and i am so excited that I have not one, but two guests this week, which is lucky for me because as you could tell from my voice, I am losing it. So hopefully for once in my life, I will shut the hell up and let other people speak. Um, my two guests are co-founders of an incredibly innovative product management platform that we're going to talk a lot about. And yeah, so welcome to the show, Onoma Okeke and Aviola Doherty. Hi, thanks for Hi having guys. me. <laughs> Very so excited to be on here. I'm excited to have you both on and and we were talking about names a little bit before we started recording because you know you guys know if you listen to the podcast I'm always bitching about how everyone mispronounces my name um, and I, it sounds like you guys have some experience with this. Yeah definitely. Oh being
1: Nigerian it comes to the territory like I don't understand how Americans can pronounce a Russian name <laughs> cannot pronounce a name with a very simple syllable.
0: <laughs> it feels like a personal attack sometimes. It does. Yeah. It feels like they're part, like, purposefully trying to not <laughs> say it correctly. Like, I'm sorry, nor, nor, whatever. So easy. So simple. Literally, like. How how yes. how do they manage to fuck it up every time? Then every sometimes time they'll put
2: extra syllables, more like random letters in it. I, yeah, I'm so confused. How did you guys add it? I don't know. They would just add something else. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, I've gotten
1: cases where, like, someone has tried to rename me.
0: Just straight (laughs) up rename you. Yeah, yeah, like, uh, no. (laughs) Dude, that's, that's, and that's the thing, like, it is, it's definitely hilarious, because it's like, Mm -hmm. how can you not pronounce a simple name? Like, literally, you guys said your names once, and I was like, got it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, they're not in any way, shape, or form complicated, and... It is one of those things that like, I think for so long, I wanted to make my name easier on other people. Mm. So they would say like, Noral Kaldi, khaldi which sure, phonetically, that sounds like you're saying everything right. But my name is Noor khaldi which as you can hear just by me saying it, it sounds very different. One of them sounds stupid and the other one sounds beautiful. You're and right. it's like, you're taking the beautiful part of my name out of my name and like, I wouldn't want to do that to anyone else. So why am I okay with it happening to me? You know what right. I mean? Definitely.
2: And it's funny that you say that because I really hate my name pronounced American well, way. Yeah. And so I just shorten it to like Abby, but like, I love yeah. it pronounced the Nigerian way. Um, and yeah. so it's, it's funny um, that you say that because at least with um a lot of Nigerian names there's meaning behind our names yes and so like yes. When you say it a certain way it kind of <laughs> means something else <laughs> and so it's it's funny um that you mentioned that
0: so what what do your names mean now i want to know the meanings of your names <laughs> so
2: my first name means um so my yeah my first name abiela so that means um born into wealth or Born it into, <laughs> like wealth. love the
0: manifestation in <laughs> like the it name.
2: It's really nice. <laughs> so they usually give names to like foresee of like the children's future. So wealth, I yeah. mean, like not necessarily like as far as um material wealth, but yeah. wealth in life, yeah, in you know happiness, joy, whatever you want to put it. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, African names tend to be super intentional. Yeah. Um yeah like
1: I think also, um, which I think when I moved here, I realized that, oh wow, like you just name kids any type of name, like but like um in Africa, like there's definitely a very intentional you know way that we name our kids,
0: yeah,
1: that um, I think Arab culture too has that as well, like yeah not like just name a child anything, oh
0: no, my name is is definitely like there is meaning behind it i don't have anyone in my family who doesn't have a meaningful name that mm-hmm. i also feel like it really does kind of um a name is so important and it really does like serve this purpose of like identifying and mm-hmm. and and who you are and so my first name noor means light Um, and so depending on the context in which it's used, it's typically used in like holy scripture to be like, you know, like the, like holy light or blessed light or like the light, you know what I mean? So like, that's a pretty heavy, meaningful, beautiful name. So when I say my name is Noor and I get Nora, and I'm just like, who the fuck said Nora? No one. Not Not, Nora. Not not, not that single person here said Nora. No one said, where did you get an A? Like, where did you find this A and decide, like, if my name was Nora, I would say my name is Nora. This isn't (laughs) like, I'm not playing a game here. Like, my name is Noor. No, no A. And like, my last name means, um, eternity. Mm. So my name means eternal light. Oh, I love that. When you put it together. Yeah. And I'm like, that's a really beautiful name that my parents, you know, really thought about. And it's just, it feels more and more, you know, just through like growing and realizing like, I shouldn't have to make myself more, I guess, Americanized Mm -hmm. to fit whatever arbitrary standards have been created. Because at the end of the day, what is being American? We're all immigrants. So if I can say your weird ass name, not you, but like some other person's (laughs) weird ass name, I can say any other name if I just try for even 30 seconds. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And like, it's just, yeah.
1: It's kind of funny because you get to a point where like, your name gets mispronounced so much that like you just give up correcting. yes you're like yeah that's how you say it and you know <laughs> yeah and I think like I've gotten to that point with like a few people and like a few um interactions where like they're like totally mispronouncing the name but I'm like yeah that's fine yeah you can call me that
0: yeah <laughs> it, it's it is it's it can be exhausting and 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 when I'm like trying to get something done quickly I'll be honest I'm just going to say my name is Noor, just to simplify it. Like, I don't have the time to tell every barista my name, you know, like, it's not that deep. But like, if it's someone who I am communicating with on a regular basis in some capacity, or if we're meeting in a professional setting, I think it's completely appropriate to expect that person to make some effort to say your name, because again, you know, Noor or Onama or, or any of these names to some people could be like, oh, that's a weird name. But you know what's a weird name to me? Mackenzie. <laughs> Mackenzie's a weird name to me. And I have no problem learning how to spell it because, well, we all learn phonics, I hope. So, you know, put it together, put a little bit of effort in. and like, And I think that so many people who do come from, you know, countries like in Arab countries or from Africa, we are gracious and we do give people so much room to mispronounce our name and and all these things and and it's just when we're when there's no attempt on the other end that's when it starts feeling like okay this is just disrespectful like you're just taking advantage of my kindness
1: definitely and I think at the same time it's kind of like tied to us in generally being open to other people's cultures more than a very westernized you know view um most americans honestly haven't left the country before
0: yeah no you're right so
1: like there's kind of like a vacuum that you live in where like a different name is like such a huge experience for you yeah that like you are not willing to take the extra effort to actually learn how to pronounce someone's name right
0: and you know i think that that's definitely something that I think, like you said, you've thought about it. I've thought about it. I know we've all considered it. Like, you know, you tell me you guys are both Nigerian. I automatically know, okay, in my mind, Africa is not just one place. East Mm -hmm. Africa, West Africa, North Africa are all very, very different and and not even just where they are located, but like every African country is very different, but you see people really want to just create one little box and be like african culture here yeah. you go and i'm like no no african 100%. culture is not all the same
1: like oh my gosh in school i've gotten ridiculous questions a girl asked tell a me friend, tell me i need to hear them. <laughs> oh my gosh the the like immigrant experience in america is so incredibly fascinating yeah. um a girl asked me if i lived in a hut. like this was a genuine question and if I saw giraffes every day... Not giraffes. Least, <laughs> like
0: I, I was like, not giraffes. Like, yeah. like sis. That's embarrassing. <laughs> That's so embarrassing. Like, how can you even say that to someone with, like, a straight face? I kid you not. I literally had to pull up Google Maps. Oh, my God. Google Images
1: and say, um, yeah, we actually have, like, skyscrapers. And, like, we don't live in huts And I don't have a pet giraffe. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that, it's just... I mean, and it's, it is so funny, but it's also like a little sad because grown adults think this, like actual adult human beings who have graduated from college, grad school. Like I'll say, oh, I'm from Palestine. And they'll be like, oh, Pakistan. I'm like, no, again, (laughs) if I was from Pakistan, I would tell you I was from Pakistan. I'm from Palestine. And, Mm -hmm. and they will act like they've never heard of it in their life. I'm like, Get the fuck out of here! Yeah, I know you listen to NPR. I know you listen to CNN. I know mm-hmm. you've heard the word Palestine before. Yeah. If I said Philistine, you would know what I was talking about. But I say Palestine, and suddenly it's we don't a new country. <laughs> we never heard of it. Yeah, yes, honestly, and I think
1: you don't have to leave your country to embrace cultures. Like read books, and right. like a lot of people do not, especially you know, like um, traditional white Americans. They don't. Like to read about things that don't necessarily center America. So, um, so that's why, um, I find it incredibly frustrating when I have to have a conversation about like how South Africa is not a five mile walking distance from Nigeria. Yeah. Like, it's on the other side of the country. <laughs> and that's
0: another no, yeah, thing. You,
2: oh, yeah.
0: Yeah. Definitely. No, no, go ahead. I was just going to ask you actually, because I know that you're a first generation Nigerian American. So, how do you feel like if any in any way you feel like you had like a different experience?
2: Yeah, no, definitely. I feel like um it's growing up, cause it was weird, um, at first, because there's also there's so many different types of Africans, and then you also have the native black Americans that were here. So yeah. I think when I was growing up, I think I thought I w I thought I was black American I thought I was black yes. American. And yes. then but I also knew that I was a little bit different because, like, at home it was very different, and so that also was a bit confusing at first. But um, it—it's funny because it's like living two lives at once. So it's like at home, this is what I am. At school, this is what I am. And so it—it it was like kind of like Hannah Montana in a way. <laughs> <But it's laughs> like I live both worlds, and because um, it was very different, and then my parents would take me, um, and my brother to Nigeria. And so that was a whole different experience in it um, in itself. So, and it showed me how diverse, even just being in Nigeria was so diverse, just like yeah. cultures, um, and just like food. all the food and everything like Anama and I are from different ethnic groups or yeah. this is what we call it. And so, yeah. Now, like, obviously being there, I can tell the difference between... Obviously, we can tell the difference between ourselves. Yeah, But, like, it's so funny when going back to the whole Africa comment or, oh, you know, everyone's like, okay, you're African. Like, okay, yes. But then also, I also have, like, a whole identity and a whole region, a group. And this this East Africa is different from West Africa. And North Africa is different from, you know, Southern Africa. So it's very... It's kind of funny now. I like think about it. Like I
1: can never identify an American as a North American, but like when it comes to like other continents, you're called Asian, you're called African.
0: Yeah, that's very problematic. And I I and I and it it was created to be that way. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Like we are, we are all the outsiders. We are all the immigrants. And and you know. They're American, you know what I mean, and like, yeah, and they're the normal ones, and they have decided what the societal norms are, and and when I say they, I'm not even i I'm friends with so many white Americans who I don't think view the world that way, but that is how the system in America was created to Mm -hmm. be, and so that's when you know it it does become sort of a responsibility that is placed. On white European Americans to to make that no longer be what the narrative is. I do think that there is some of that responsibility. Unfortunately, is placed upon them. But at the end of the day, not to seem insensitive, but I think so many responsibilities have been placed on both of you, me, our whole lives. We are we are literally just as American as they are. I was born yep. here. Yep, and. And yet I am always treated as if I am so different and my culture is so different. And yeah. oh my God, like, no, like, isn't it whole point? I mean, again, I don't want to get too much into this because I'm like, I'm literally a very like America. I, I'm in a fuck America mood. I'm just going to be honest with everyone. And I have been for a while. So I'm like, maybe that's not the direction I want to take because I will go off. But, 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 but what I will say is like, I do think that for so long, anyone who is not white is, is automatically assumed to have a role and have all these responsibilities to make themselves more digestible and more palatable and be more Westernized to make people feel more comfortable. And it's just kind of, I'm going to be honest at this point, I'm, I'm over it. And I feel like all of my friends are over it. Like I have a friend who's from Haiti and she's like, I'm so sick and tired of people acting like my culture is the same as black American culture. Mm. It's just not, they're so incredibly different. And she's like, and I am so sick and tired of people assuming that just because I am a black person living in America that, okay, then you're, you're a black American. And it's kind it, of
1: funny because like race and nationalities they're different wa they're like different ways people deal with them. For example, I've noticed um I used to live in Brazil. Okay. And I noticed that like if you're African you're kind of like seen as like um special okay. than the actual black Brazilians. interesting so like it's a very interesting dynamic especially like when you're something new to a culture um quote unquote like um you're um obviously it's still definitely racism but like on a very elevated level if that makes sense
0: yeah it is very interesting the way people simplify race and ethnicity just so that they don't have to care because it doesn't affect them personally.
2: Yeah. And as you get older, you kind of find out how complex it is. Um, Kind of what Anama was saying, I did notice, um, you know, with my name. And then once people find out, okay, I'm Nigerian or like, you know, um, typical Americans, they would try to treat me a little bit better than my friends that were black American. And so I did notice the difference between that as well. So it is something to bring up and it is because now all of a sudden I'm foreign. And so, Ooh, this is cool. And so exotic. Yeah, exactly. Exotic. Yes. A (laughs) hundred percent.
0: No. And I also, I was talking to a friend of mine recently. She's Somali. And she was like, the way that black women from Africa are fetishized is actually kind of getting out of control. Mm. She's like, it's very weird. And, and, you know, even just, you know, walking around, spending some time with her because we were together, like uh, staying at a friend's house for a few days. So we were spending a lot more time together. People are always like, as soon as they see her, where are you from? Mm-hmm. Where are you from? Are you Senegalese? Are you like, just like automatically wanting to place her. They want to in this, but in a weird fetishizing kind of way, not in a, I'm genuinely interested in where you're from. Just like in a, you look different and I need to know what kind of different you are so I can decide how I'm going to treat you. Hmm. That's the vibe. That's the vibe. That's how it, that's how it appeared to me. And, you know, obviously I don't want to speak on her experience, but essentially like, yeah, like being fetishized, as an African woman in America is also just this very strange thing.
1: Yeah. And I think the African immigrant experience in in America is definitely different from the black American experience. And it's also different from like the first generation American experience as well.
0: Yeah. I mean, yeah, definitely. Like um, like I'm also a first generation American and I, you know, I feel like for me, I, you know, I'm definitely interested in hearing what your, like your experience is like, Abby, because like, I want to see what the parallels are, but I grew up very much so, you know, I I have a lighter complexion. And when I was younger, I didn't wear a hijab. So I just, I kind of blended in. I was Mm -hmm. able to just kind of, you know, maybe they thought I was Latina or something, but I just kind of was able to kind of go unnoticed. And I, but I could tell the way that I was treated and that I could tell that I was treated better than let's say my other Muslim friend who was uh, from Guyana mm. who had a darker complexion. But like, because I had a lighter skin tone, I was more accepted, easier. And my name is Noor, which yeah, it sounds a little weird, but not that weird. Like mm. it doesn't sound that different. And only until like my mom would come to school, she wears a hijab that's when I feel like the first time I started noticing that the kids in my class were treating me differently was seeing my mother and realizing, wait, this is you, you're not white. Yeah. You're something else. <laughs> and and it was this weird kind of not that I was ashamed of my ethnicity or my culture, but I just almost felt like I could tell that people didn't like it. Mm. And so I just kept it to myself. Not that I was ashamed of it, but I just kind of felt like, like you said, I will just almost have like a double life. And when I'm hanging out with these people, I just won't bring up these things. Yeah. And and when I hang out with my other friends who are cultured, I will talk about things. And, and it was very much, and I had come to terms with it at a very young age that like, okay, that's fine. I'll make it easier on myself. That's how I kind of justified it in my head. It'll be easier for me to have these two separate kind of versions of myself just to make everyone else feel at ease and relaxed, which I want to go back in time. And I do want to slap little <laughs> seven-year-old Noor and be like, no, bad Noor.
2: Don't do that. Fuck that. Mm-hmm. No, definitely. I Just to add to that, I think it's very interesting because... Um, I think when I was younger, because my name, so my first name, that was maybe they would try to like make fun of my name. Oh, Abioli, Ravioli, just all these different names. But my last name, for, mm, my last name is more, is it's the English last name. And yes. so a lot of people, they didn't know how to categorize me. So they would think I'm Black American or I don't know. And so it was very interesting to see how, okay, um... My other friends who had like a little bit more difficult names, how they were treated and how people try to make fun of their names. And I find that like when they notice that they can't fit you in a easy box, they want to, they just easily just want to be able to figure you out and put you somewhere and yeah, just say, okay, this is what you are and we're going to go with this. And this is how we move. And so that's what I've noticed. But it was definitely like double life. um, And like what you're saying of mentioning, okay, with certain friends, this is what I'm going to bring up, but certain friends, I don't bring this up because I don't want any type of bullying or any type of anybody to think I'm different. And you want to be, especially when you're younger, you don't really have the tools to maybe some people say certain things that may be derogatory and you don't have the, knowledge right. of the skill set um even some teachers that would be teaching about um you know black american history or even africa some of the things that they were saying some of it now looking back as an adult were incorrect and so or maybe they shouldn't have brought it up that way and yep. so but me at the time although i felt it was wrong i didn't have the skill like you know I don't know the skill set or the bandwidth to even just like say,
0: okay, and this is what you, you shouldn't to. have to. That's the thing. When I say that we have done so much over the years, so when people are like, why are you so frustrated that no one will say your name right? I'm like, because my name is so fucking easy. And like, how old were you when these things were happening? You were a child and yeah. you were trying so hard to still navigate that and to the best of your ability, where you were trying to protect yourself and. From a teacher who's an adult, like, you know what I mean? That's a figure of authority who you don't want to have a conflict with. You don't want the teacher not to like you. Mm -hmm. And you don't know how to tell her, hey, listen, I don't, that hurts my feelings or, you know, that's a little insensitive or that's incorrect. No teacher is going to like that. And I'm going to be honest. I only went to school in America until the second grade and then not until college. I I lived overseas for the rest of uh, elementary school, middle school, high school. But I, reflecting on it, there was a girl, her name was Felicia. She was a black girl. She lived in my neighborhood. We rode the bus together. And I think back to it and I'm like, my teacher was a racist. She was racist towards this girl. And I remember her being so nice to me and being so just short with Felicia. Mm. And and I think back to it and I'm like, I just thought that I was really cute and nice. Mm -hmm. But I think back to it and I'm like, no, Felicia was just as cute, as nice as me. Like She didn't do anything. And even if she did, that's a fucking teacher. You should not be picking and choosing who you're gonna be more compassionate or kind to. Like something as simple as, I didn't know how to tie my shoelaces. My teacher would always volunteer to help me tie my shoelaces. Felicia did not get that same treatment. Mm. She was told, you still don't know how to tie your shoelaces. You need to ask your parents to teach you how to tie your shoelaces. Like That's what she was met with. And I was met with, come here, sweetheart. Let me tie your shoelaces. Mm, yeah. And I think back to it and I'm like, I fucking, ah, I'm so mad. I want to <laughs> find that teacher and I want to fucking fight her. And I want to <laughs> like hug Felicia because, and that's the thing. I think back to it. And I'm like, she handled it so well in a way that i don't know that i would you know what i mean and it's Mm -hmm. and unfortunately it's through struggles we are forced to find ways to deal with people being discriminatory or racist and sometimes it's much more obvious than others and i know that you know even my experience as someone who's visibly muslim yeah it's not the best but to compare it to the experience of anyone who's black or brown in america like Put a hijab on that and that immediately mm-hmm. makes it way worse. And even without mm-hmm. a hijab, it's still way mm-hmm. worse than my experience because at the end of the day, I have light skin and I don't have an accent when I speak. And that is enough for people to treat me with more respect than another person, which is truly disgusting. It's crazy.
1: Yeah. And it's like such a big culture shock to like, I once you move here and you try to like navigate being, being here in America and trying to like get a job and trying to navigate through school and like you tend to, um, code switch a lot. Um, depending on the environment that you're in, like there's a way that it doesn't actually foster you to be a most authentic self, especially as an immigrant. So yeah, um, a lot of people don't actually talk about, you know, like the immigrant experience navigating America, like, um, like the small, small nuances, like, um, how to do a job interview, like, um, how to basically right. order coffee, um, you know, like, there are things I faced, yeah, like, for example, American humor, it took me a long time to sort of come around to, like, to, like, um, being in social circles and, like, understanding, like, how Americans make jokes, um, I used to watch Disney as a child, yeah, so, like, in my head, like, that was the version of, like, humor, like, I could understand the jokes because I was very deep in mean culture. But at the same time, like like, um, actually living that experience is so different. How
0: old were you when you moved here? I was 18. Okay. So you had, you had gone through school, you were done. So yeah, that, that is a really difficult, I think, transition to make. How old were you when you moved to Brazil or were you back and forth between Nigeria and Brazil?
1: Um, I was back and forth
0: between America and Brazil. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, you were you born in Nigeria?
1: Yes. I lived in Nigeria up until high school. Okay. And then we moved to Brazil. I see. So, my mom's a diplomat. Okay. Cool. Yeah. So, like, she had worked there. So, we moved there. And then, like, after a year or so, I moved to... um, I moved to
0: Chelsea, New York.
1: <laughs> and... <laughs> So like I was a bit like back and forth in between Brazil and America.
0: I see. And like, I just feel like it's so funny that you mentioned Disney because for me as a child, that was how I kind of kept a connection with being American Mm. because I felt very American, you know, like in every setting I was in with other Arabs, I was the American kid, like Yep. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) and so, and I, and I, you know, I understood Arabic, but I didn't feel confident speaking it. So I didn't engage and I didn't feel confident speaking Arabic until I was probably like 10 or 12 years old. Prior to that, I was like, every time I would talk, I was just like, well, you sound like a white girl. And I'm like, oh, I don't want to sound like a white girl. Like, you know what I mean? Like, (laughs) no. Like, and so like, I just, you know, I really clung on to that American identity because, you know, regardless of your background, when you leave the place you were born, you really do identify so strongly. You were born there, like your very early memories are very connected. And so I would watch Disney Channel, but my Disney Channel, when I lived in Malaysia, which is where I lived for the rest of elementary school and middle school, it was streamed through Australia. So I got like an Australian <laughs> Disney Channel, which. I didn't know was different and I just like assumed everyone like watched S Club 7 and no one knew what yeah. I was talking about and I and no one, I, I was like S Club 7 and they were like what the actual fuck is S Club 7 I was like you don't watch Disney Channel and they're like bro what Disney Channel are you watching and I was like I don't know like regular Disney Channel but it's so funny that like Disney Channel is that like synonymous with American children culture Mhm yeah um
1: percent <laughs> And I think Twitter as well was like a big, like, um, was a big unifier in terms of like understanding, you know, like what the general internet culture is. Yeah. Especially you move to, before you make, before you make a big move into a new country. Um, Disney Channel, t- um, Twitter for sure, um, Nickelodeon, just for maybe iCarly, <laughs> and SpongeBob. <laughs> But like, um, definitely like coming here and like experiencing, you know, like what American culture is, it's so different from seeing it on a screen or like, or like on your phone. Um,
2: it was definitely a learning curve <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah. For sure. Yeah.
2: <laughs> and it's funny that you mentioned, um, feeling American in Arab spaces. Um, and I definitely felt that. And I just remembered, as as you said it, um, when I was in Nigeria, I felt very American. And I felt almost, I felt very foreign there because also I couldn't connect. I didn't have the same experiences as, um, as those students. So I didn't go to school with them. I didn't watch the same shows as them. Um, and it was Disney that was a unifier. Like all those like, disney's nickelodeon um but it's funny because it's um i do understand like also how um mixed people they say they have to they're fighting between two identities like and it's confusing for them i definitely feel the same way in the sense that like also when i was in nigeria i did feel a little bit uncomfortable like i understand my language but i never spoke it because i always felt so weird and Every time I yeah. tried, they, you know, everyone's laughing and, you know. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So it's it's funny. So um, as you mentioned that, I also just remembered some memories um, on both sides because it's not like I don't really fit in fully here. Do I really fit in fully on the other end as well? So it's, it's an identity. And so I think I also felt the most comfortable with like first generation people and like people that also felt like they're in between the two as well because it it's it's definitely a new and strange experience um and like how you were saying um how maybe when you're younger like people would just think that maybe you're at latina or maybe white american and so that also how people identify you initially versus people at home what they they think of you as american then people that actually get to know you they think of you as very foreign so it's 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 very interesting i'm very much interested in learning more about people's other people's experiences but we're like this whole
0: new set of um <laughs> there's so many parallels that's the one thing i've learned through Honestly, like prior to this, I'm, I'm really glad that like I did have a very diverse upbringing. I always went to international schools because I did live overseas. So there weren't many English speaking schools and English was my first language. So I would be placed in these international school settings and I had opportunities to meet people from like Brunei and all over the world and really appreciate their culture. And, and my parents also really have always had a very diverse, group of people in their lives just they're naturally drawn to good people and that means people of all backgrounds and so i grew up you know with my parents having their sudanese friends over making their like you know cultural dishes and, and just things like that and i'm really grateful that i was able to have that but i i do also believe even if i didn't have that even if i just you know moved to america or was a first generation american you do instantly have a connection with people have ties to culture and whatever culture that is. And I think that's what white Americans struggle with is that they don't necessarily feel connected to their cultures in the way that we do. Their cultures are not very prevalent in their lives. And I think that, you know, I see, I have a niece, so my sister's daughter, and she has a son. So he is now a second generation American. And my niece fully talks to him. She's an adult, by the way. She's 26. I feel like every time I say my niece has a baby, I I really just want to say she is 26 years old. Um, <laughs> but she, she talks to her baby in Arabic sometimes. And mm-hmm. I haven't said anything about it because I don't want to make her feel self-conscious because I think it's amazing because we don't talk to each other in Arabic. We talk to each other in English. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, so I just think it's really nice to see that she's still does feel that culture. And this is not my sister. This is my sister's daughter. And so just seeing her keep that culture mm-hmm. alive and keep the language, like it makes me so I happy. And I know that I'm just, what worries me is I'm like, is the reason why white Americans who are of a, a European descent is a reason why they're not connected to their culture because they've been here for longer. Or is it just because they don't feel connected to their culture? And I, Again, I'm so sorry if this is an offensive thing to say, but I just think they're not that connected to their culture just generally speaking. I think certain places in Europe, yes, like somewhere like Germany, I feel like German culture is still very much a very big part of a German's identity, but I feel like for certain other countries not so much. And it's it's a, also a very interesting thing because it's like what what is it about a culture that makes people cling on to it versus cultures that people are so quick to just kind of let go of you know i think
1: for america because um american history is deeply tied to slavery and um colonialism so it's like decades of different nationalities mixing together and like stuff gets lost in the trap right so like is the average american like what Nationality is he originally? Yeah, we, we can't really tell. she um, can be from Spain. He can be from England. Um, he can be from the Netherlands. And so, like, it's kind of hard to, you know, go back to that roots. I think for them, but um, in the South, that might be different. But then I, I also think Southern culture too is, is, is in a way, still tied deeply to like, um, you know, like American slavery. Yeah.
0: So, um, no I'm like I can vouch for that I live in Florida I promise you racism <laughs> is, racism is very very exa- It's 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 still pretty like people will very casually say like oh well my my grandma's a racist uh-huh. and it's just very like mama my, my grandma's a racist and you know <laughs> I'm like okay maybe your grandma is a racist but like maybe don't Say it like it, it them yeah. socially acceptable. You know what I mean? Like, I understand your grandma's ninety years old. You're, you're not going to change her, but like, don't like broadcast that. Like, maybe at least be like, kind of like, yeah, my grandma's a racist. It's not sucks. Not like, yeah, my grandma's a racist, and like, accept it. No, 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 no. Like, I'm sorry. Like, that's that's the thing. Like, it's so funny though because I remember growing up, and again, identity being this weird thing. And because I felt very American, I kind of did identify with like white ident- white American culture in some ways. And I remember someone mentioning to me white guilt. And because I didn't go to school for most of my life in America, we didn't really learn too much about that, about like, or whatever version of slavery is even taught in American schools, we learned very much, we did learn about it, but it was more so World War One, World War II, like mm-hmm. things that like were global. That's what our history was primarily. And so, um, you know, I remember hearing white guilt for the first time and being like, fuck, should I feel white guilt? Like, I don't, like literally, like, I don't know. Like, should I feel, did I, you know what I mean? Like, should I feel bad? And then finding out like, oh no, like this is, it's tied to, you know, slavery and all this stuff and i'm like i've never seen white guilt what is this white guilt you speak of like you know what i mean and it's a word that i would hear thrown around a lot white guilt white guilt but it's like cool where's the guilt where's where the I, I haven't i haven't seen it and i say this also on my podcast a lot like i do think that sometimes unfortunately i'm not a fan a fan of shame culture but sometimes people do only respond to shame unfortunately and sometimes Mm-hmm. you gotta shame people into fucking not being racist yes and like
1: this is why I support shaming companies <laughs> um, because no honestly like I think last year taught us a lot that shaming companies does work <laughs> yes and like um because honestly that's the only thing that they respond to if their internal team isn't moving with intention Um, like Everybody scared of how they look to the outside world. So, like, that's the button that you need to push. So, um, council control can be a bit toxic sometimes, yeah. yes, but, like, I think it's just, like, moving with intention, um, and it ties back to these conversations about, like, can people change? Like, um, who I was 10 years ago isn't who I am now. Like, is there grace to give to that person? And and kind of former racist reform, like, is racism something that can be, mm. you, you know, can you unracist yourself, if that's the word? Yeah,
0: no, like, un- unlearning, <laughs> unlearning behaviors that were normalized in your home. And I do have a little bit, a little bit of empathy, though, for people who were raised in a racist environment. And that is what they grew up learning. And, and I can, to a certain degree, understand that that's not something you can just turn off overnight, just like how I can't just unlearn, you know, what my parents raised me. And luckily, I say this all the time. Like, I'm very lucky. I got lucky with my parents. So I don't have a lot. You know what I mean? I'm like, I really lucked out as far because Arabs are, are fucking racist too. Don't get me wrong. They're racist amongst one another. Like yep. you're this type of Arab, fuck you. You're a farmer. I'm from the city, like that type of shit. It's all so stupid. And, you know, also I think has a lot of ties to colonialism and whatever. But, 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 but I think that it can be done because I, and I've talked about this before. I, you know, worked in the criminal justice system. My sister was a prosecutor for years. I, I loved police officers. I, I don't know why I whispered that. You guys can hear me. But I did. I did. I, I, I thought that they were here to protect and serve because I was only seeing one side of law enforcement in America. Mm-hmm. And I was seeing the side that was coming in when there was a victim because I was a victim's counselor. So someone was, you know, assaulted or a victim of domestic violence. And then I would see an officer come in and testify on their behalf. And so I only had positive associations with them like no like they removed this person from a dangerous situation and now they're here for them and they're speaking for them and and that was that is what i saw that mm-hmm. was what i received and and i'm so ashamed that like i i looked at it in such a fucking you know only my perspective and mm-hmm. and it's not that i didn't believe that there was police brutality i i was aware of it but i guess i just never stop to think like, wait, no, me sitting there and praising them, even though sure, there are some good ones out there. I'm contributing to this because I think what's more important than like patting people on the back for doing a fucking good job when they're grown adults, they don't need a pat on the back Mm -hmm. is calling out the ones who are misusing their authority to be racists and be protected because of their occupation when in reality they're In no way, shape, or form, protecting or serving anyone. And I was able to unlearn that. And I feel like it was very deeply rooted in my experiences, in my life, in my relationship with my sister. Like, so I do think people can unlearn. I just think that they have to try.
1: I think then we have this other little devil called unconscious bias. (laughs) As much as you think you're reformed, and like, as much as we all think we are reformed, honestly, like, there's still that bias that we have at the back of our heads and the thing is that like that bias has a ripple effect um because is that something that you can intentionally unlearn or like you have to kind of like check your yourself at every step for example at work if if let's say a cis white manager is like the um the um, hiring manager and she has been through like all the um all the unconscious bias learning courses and, like, everything, and you come into work and, like, you are in place of, like, hiring decisions, I feel like it takes a lot of intention to check yourself because that's how these um, cracks kind of get a little bit wider because people in general think they are as reformed, but, like, in real life, They are still,
0: like, playing into that game of, like,
1: racism, but in a very subtle way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You're you're a thousand percent right. No, sorry, go
2: ahead. Definitely. And that's why I think you mentioned perspective, and it's very, very important. And as far as also exposure as well. And it's not like, oh, you have to travel the world. No. It's just, you know, meeting different people, reading different books, trying to see, get, understand where someone else is coming from. Even me i can say okay this is wrong and this is why this is wrong because of x y and z but it's also okay why did this person do this or why did this person see it in that way and it's having empathy and also compassion for like one another you know going back to being just being a good person you know and just actively kind of what anama was saying is like actively trying to okay where is this coming from do i need to educate myself here where are my gaps? Okay, I'm letting this happen. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, yeah. But then, like, a lot of people, who aren't willing to do that work. <laughs> no,
0: yeah. no, and they, they are. And I think that most Americans, and this means all Americans, just in general, American culture is very selfish. This is something that I'm made to be aware of because every move I make, I do consider my parents and my family. I just do. And other people who I don't know, I will consider you until you give me a reason to not consider you. You show me that you're a piece of shit. All right, then not considering you anymore. (laughs) But if you have, I will give you the benefit of the doubt. And I, I try to be considerate of other people, but specifically, you know, I do really value my parents. I think that I, you know, the respect that I give them, and, and again, I will say, my parents are great people. Some people don't have that experience, so it's different. But if you have good parents, I think it's fair to you know, show them certain levels of respect. And I think it varies from person to person, from parent to parent, what they consider to be respectful, what they don't. I think that's also very tied to culture. What my parents is, is think it's a sign of respect. Other people might think it's weird. Every time I see my dad, I kiss his hand and I put it on my head. No matter where I am, no matter what I do, people are like, even other Arab people are like, what the fuck? And I'm like, that's how I show respect to my dad. I kiss his hand. I put it on my head. My mom, on the other hand, I've tried doing it to her. She hates it. She's like, don't touch me. Like she's not a physically affectionate person. So she, that to her, isn't her, the way I can show her respect. I can show her respect by she wants to see me achieve goals in my life. That is to her, that makes her feel respected, that I raised you and you are successful, that to her is a form of respect, which is so weird, but that's that's her thing. And so it varies from person to co- person, culture to culture, but just coming back to you, I think one thing that does make me feel very different a lot of times from white Americans is this very individualistic perspective, as opposed to where I feel like I not only think about my family, but I was also raised that like when you hurt one person, you're hurting the whole community Mm -hmm. genuinely, truly. And so Mm. if you can change something with your hand, change it with your hand. If you can change it with your mouth, change it with your mouth. If you could change it with your actions, like that is what was instilled to me at such Mm -hmm. a young age. And, and I just kind of assumed that that's how everyone viewed things, but people don't want to go out of their way for other people. And, and it's hard to maintain the the values that you have when everyone around you kind of doesn't give a shit about them. Mm. And I think that's where like your own moral compass comes into play and checking yourself, like you were saying, mm. comes into play because this isn't about proving something to someone. This isn't about what is society accepted by society or what is a norm in society. It's more so about I know what the right thing to do is. And so I need to check myself whether or not anyone around me is doing it. I am responsible for my own actions. And if that means unlearning things and consciously not being racist and using whatever position I have to make sure that I am not showing any bias, then you do that. And that's on you as an individual. And as much as I would love everyone to do it, at the end of the day, we only can control what we do. And so that's our contribution to society. And so that's something that, like, you know, like you said, like reform is possible, but you need to, you need to be on that shit. Like you need to be checking yourself. You need to be reflecting on decisions you make and your intentions behind it. Definitely, definitely.
1: hundred percent. Yeah, like, um, I think reform is definitely a hundred percent possible but it has to be with a lot of intention Mm -hmm. and a lot of emotional intelligence as well um and also like thinking you know less than you actually know helps a lot because people think most people in general think they know more than they know yeah (laughs) or they have like more experiences than they actually do so like it definitely helps to like humble yourself and um be open to learning other experiences, um, expressing other cultures and people as well.
0: I I mean, I couldn't agree more. And like, I'm just like, I want to keep talking about this so bad, but I also want to <laughs> talk about other stuff. So, okay, just, we're just going to do a very non-smooth transition. <laughs> I do want to know, how did you two meet each other? Because you're both co-founders of Lenore. So I want to know how you guys met. What's your meet cue? Okay, so um,
2: it's funny. So... Anama lives in New York. I live in California. And I used to live in New York. I moved to California during the pandemic. Um, And during the pandemic, there was an app called Clubhouse. And it was... Yay, we love Clubhouse. (laughs) (laughs) We love Clubhouse. So during that time, uh, chatting on Clubhouse, Anama and I met via Clubhouse. And... uh, it was funny. I, that's so fucking cute. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm like, that's <laughs> so
0: cute.
2: I love that. And so, yeah. So we met um, via Clubhouse just talking. And we realized that we had mutual friends from some of my friends back in New York. And so we just got started talking. We both were very similar, both in the tech space, also the fashion space in a way <laughs> as well. And it was just... I love that you're
0: using air quotes for I'm everything. Like, she's, how it she's like, tech fashion whatever the fuck no <laughs> I, I consider myself in
2: tech in fashion or I guess I'm in tech too but like I don't know I I, f- I have a hard time identifying myself in like all these different categories
1: <laughs> and I think it's because like we we transition into different spaces like um I don't you know FIT in Chelsea yeah. I went there for fashion design And then in school, like, I realized I didn't necessarily want to be a fashion designer. And, like, that was, like, my childhood dream, like, going away. But at the same time, like, I knew I wanted to solve problems in retail, but I didn't know what yet. So I taught myself how to code. I taught myself how to product design.
0: We love it. So that
1: led me into tech. Um, I did these things at Nike and... casual yeah
0: did a sit at nike and reddit whatever (laughs) you you might have heard of them (laughs) i love the humbleness could it be me i would be like nike have you heard of it (laughs) yeah i was there
1: (laughs) so then like um now like being in tech and kind of like experiencing how software could solve a lot of problems in retail so like it made a lot of sense to kind of like Go back and see, like, oh wait, um, so, um, I used to work at Rosie Asselin, and, um, oh. and yeah, um, I was an, I was an intern for them, um, the, the spring of 2019, and so, wow. um, so, yeah, like, the workflow in retail in general is just, like, shit. Like, companies have to deal with, like, Excel sheets, Zacked. really long email chairs. Like, I literally had this friend who had to go back to an email that was sent last year because she couldn't find something to dress, And bad version control. And, like, a lot of teams are juggling all these very archaic methods. And even if they use product management tools like Asana, they have to, like, ad hoc it. Because like it's not built for a physical product that you can touch. So like there's a space that like Abby and I thought that tech could fit very nicely in here and we could help solve problems for brands. Yeah, so that's how we got started.
0: <laughs> I mean, I first of all I love a digital meet you. I met some of my closest friends on like Twitter and shit. So like <laughs> I, I love it. Um but also I mean, yeah, I also work in fashion. So <laughs> air, quotes. I did air quotes. Yeah. <laughs> I also work in fashion. I don't know. I feel like at this point we're all so multifaceted. Yeah. And and we've all touched so many different like industries that it's like 'Cause I know Abby, you didn't you majored in like mathematics? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I majored in what? mathematics and then Again,
2: could it be me? I'm like, <laughs> I use my calculator for very simple math and division. It, yeah, no, it's it's funny. And then got into tech um and was working, you know, just being an engineer, whatever you do. But I'm I i do not consider myself a nine to fiver. Like I'm definitely someone that needs a lot of variation needs a lot of simulation yes. to keep going and work so like i would do jobs but like i'm very quick to leave very quickly um and so you
0: like fun- a challenge i bet exactly i like things that are exciting Same. and fun yeah. like, i get yeah.
2: bored very easily in jobs and so yep. even this last job i had um was i worked that towards so towards a plus size fashion company and that was the first time getting that back end perspective of, okay, this workflow and how complex it is, um, the fashion industry is, um, was my biggest eye opener eye, eye opener for the fashion industry. And then obviously the pandemic, I had some coworkers still going into the office because they couldn't work from the computer or work from home. So that also kind of gave us the opportunity to see, okay, Lenore is what we need to make sure that we can bridge the gap between tech and retail. And so that was kind of the beginning of Lenore.
0: <laughs> and I, I did want to ask just because I also feel like it kind of ties, uh, ties into what we were talking about, you know, from the very beginning of the podcast, we're honestly both of it, but how did both, I want, I would want to know how your parents reacted to going from what would be considered like a stable career, because I know my parents and they're, they, number one, don't fully understand what it is that I do, but I don't know that anyone's parents, if you work in something that's in tech or fashion, it takes a certain kind of parent to fully be able to comprehend that concept. But my mom is just like, why are you taking unnecessary risks? Yeah, You know what I mean? She's, and my dad is just like, why don't you like stability? And I was like, no, I do like stability. And I actually hate risks. But, you know, sometimes if that is a part of the industry that you work in, you kind of got to fucking do it. So I would be interested in knowing, like, how, you're, how you broke the news or how your family's reacted to it.
1: Um, um, it's kind of funny because I started my first fashion brand at 14. And my parents have been pretty supportive. Um, FIT was actually the literally the only school I apply to and um they have been very supportive from the first day honestly. Um so I'm very grateful for that. But like I have had friends who literally have to get a whole ass law degree before they could do fashion. And like law is like a pretty long and very expensive degree to get. So people um, got
0: a lot I I know my sister is still playing off her law school loan, so yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Definitely. So I've been very supportive in on that front, and I'm very grateful that like, um, my parents definitely believe in like you have one life, and you should do what you love.
0: I mean, definitely, I love that for you. I just, I'm gonna be honest with you. I'm like <laughs> that. That is truly, I will say, a very like your parents. I want to give them a big hug. That's amazing <laughs> because i uh, my parents are supportive, but it just takes a little, you know, cajoling. It takes like a little like you know, maybe giving them like a hard plan for them to feel like I'm making a move and it is definitely a risk. And my mom was like, don't tell your dad. That was <laughs> her first thing. She was like, you just figure it out. And then we'll tell your dad. I'm like, my dad is like adorable. So I'm like, all right, whatever. You know him better than me. Like he's your husband. <laughs> um, and so, and my mom was super supportive on board. And then once it became real, she started freaking out. She 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 switched on me. And I'm like, no, you can't freak out. I'm freaking out. Like, no, like, you need to go back. Stop this. And then she she was so freaked out that she ended up just like haphazardly telling my dad, by the way, Nora's moving out of the state and she's doing that. And my dad was like, FaceTimes me, and he's like, Why are you doing this? Like, and he's just like a not in like a guilty <laughs> way, just like in a what? Like just that information was just dropped on him super casually, yes. you no know, prefacing, just she's leaving. Bye. bye. Right. And my dad is like, why? What? what is going on? But I, as soon as I like helped him understand, like, you know, the industry that I work in, it does help to be living in these particular places and, and this and that. And it's just like, well, why would you want to leave your family? Why would you want to leave this? Why would, you know what I mean? And, and they very much, I think they're but at least for my parents, because they're they're older, they were born in the 40s, they're older, um, their generation is very much like, you need to have academic degrees in order to secure your financial future. And that is something that is just as important to them as I think we all treat like self care and skincare and all those things. Replace mm-hmm. that with like, academics like both of you my parents would be like wow love you you have degrees amazing I do have a degree just not enough degrees that's the thing they, they want like stacks. Yep. they want <laughs> they want a few they don't want one they don't want two they want like a couple of degrees stacked definitely I
1: think, I think for like immigrant parents you do it and you say sorry later
0: <laughs> yes yeah. that's true that's true that's my
1: tip on that's true just, just like like do it first, and then you tell them, Oh, by the way, yeah, um, I'm actually moving to New York tomorrow, yes, I, <laughs> just, just saying you guys know, definitely.
2: That's- I, I definitely do that. Um, I, <laughs> I, I definitely, like, do what I need to do first, and then tell them after when I'm just in a p- passerby way. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So- make it super casual, yeah. super, it, by the way. Oh, I just thought about this yesterday, I didn't yeah, do yeah. it, but it's funny, I think. Um, as your parents see you, especially as you get older, they start noticing a pattern, at least with my parents, um, where they, okay, she's always going to be this way because she's never like, she's always, and I've always been someone that's, um, I would say has been a little bit everywhere in the sense that like, okay, today I'm like, okay, this is what I'm doing. I'm so into this. Oh, I'm excited. Okay, tomorrow another thing. Oh, I'm really into this, and so that scares them a little bit because I'm, I don't have a lot of stability, and so my dad was, he would come and talk to me because um, he doesn't they try not to tell me to
0: do things
2: because right. if you tell me that's when I really want to do it.
0: They they know that shit's not going to work. I feel like our, we have similar personalities in the exactly. way where my mom knows if she tells me not to do something, it's not going to stop me. It's just going to piss me off and maybe make me do it like faster.
2: Exactly. So he would just try to like talk to me calmly and say, well, maybe you should just like settle down in one place and just chill and, you know, try to, see it out see it through and try to advise me which I do appreciate but um again with my mom she was saying um such like now I'm doing Lenore full-time and so my mom's like oh do you want to do um do you want to go to business school do you want to like on the side while you're doing this
0: it's an obsession my mom will casually text me be like have you seen this master's program I'm like mom I don't want no. Why? Like, well, no. You, stop it. Stop trying to make me get. Like she's like, just do it on the side. Just do it part time. Everything is online now, and I'm like, well, how what much like, all a agree on the side? Literally, like that's <laughs> not a side thing. And also, like I also feel like my mom and dad. I'm the baby, so like they know I'm a hard worker, but they still, they're like, you're a baby. still, you know, no matter, I'm 32 years old, I'm turning 33 and a few, you know what I mean? I, I'm, I'm not a baby, but they really still view me so much. So like a little baby. And I also think that's an immigrant parent thing. No matter how old you are, you're the baby. You're always a baby. They're always gonna, you, my mom is already just like, well, you know, like uh, if you need money, I'm like, mom, I don't need money. I'm good. <laughs> And she was like, well, you know, and she and I appreciate it. I do. But, like, they really think I'm incompetent. And I think yeah. in the back of their mind, though, they know that I'm not. They know that I'm not. Yeah. But they treat me unintentionally like I am an incompetent yeah. human being. But I'm like, you did not raise me to be that way. I can fucking do everything, actually. And it's because well, you taught me to. I think that's a very immigrant thing,
1: like, Cultures that aren't American tend to be very centralized around communities, yeah, like we're very community based cultures, and um i'm America is in a way very individualized, mm-hmm. I think. So, like, that's why your child that's, like, 33 years old is, like, still, so, like, your child, like a baby to oh, you. Okay. Like- a whole-ass baby. <laughs> I,
0: I'm an infant. Every time they look at me, they are shocked that I can even speak. They're like, wow, good job. Like, <laughs> like literally, when I speak Arabic, which I I would consider myself to be fluent at this point in Arabic, They'll never not be impressed by me speaking Arabic. I'm like, yo, my head is already too big. Stop this! It doesn't need to be bigger. Like my dad will be like, oh my god, you should work for Al Jazeera. You want me to be a news reporter for Al Jazeera? I speak Arabic, you know, well, but not not like news reporter vernacular. No, like, I don't know the I don't know the word for crisis. Actually, that's what I do. But I don't know the word for like some other shit. You know, my vocabulary is decent, but I it's not my first language. But the way they hype you up for doing things is the way you hype up a child. Honestly, yes. like the positive reinforcement. Honestly, yes. It's like, good job, bravo. Like It's, it's just, but I love it. I, I'm not gonna lie, I really love it. And
2: it's funny because now that Lenore is getting a little bit more traction, I'm telling them the good news about it. Just like, oh, it seems like it's working out for you. It's like, it's amazing. And then um, my mom's like, this seems like what you want to do. So like they're, they accept it, you know, at the end of the day. We're all gonna do what we want to do, and exactly it's based off of their guidings and their teachings. You know, you know they te- they raised us well enough that we can be ha- um, go exactly. out into the world. So I don't know why the fear. Obviously, they have fear of just like okay, you don't want to fall down, but like sometimes people do have to fall down in order exactly. to learn and to be a full like I guess adult in general. But um, mm-hmm.
0: yeah, that's how you learn. That's literally unfortunately that's how you learn. I think the most valuable lessons and you pick up the most valuable skills is through falling. And like, it is scary. I'm going to be honest. I hate risks. I really, I really hate risks, but you got to take risks sometimes. And you, you know, you can try to mitigate the negative impact as much as you can, but unfortunately you can't, sometimes you do fall and like, it's okay. Like, that's the thing. Like if you have the skills within yourself it's a little hard. I don't have to tell you guys. You are, yep. <laughs> you know, you have a startup, so like you know, like sometimes you have to just put in a lot more into something for a while, so that later, long term, you might not have to work as hard. Probably still will, yeah. but not as. But it won't be. As, <laughs> but it won't be as exhausting because you get used to it. We're very adaptable, I think. Generally speaking women specifically are very adaptable. I think children of immigrants or immigrants whatever like I think that we are also very adaptable. These are amazing skills. Whatever. That's what I'm saying like the it's unfortunate that we had to go through I think hardships at a young age but I also think that it Again, I'm just, my head is so big, my parents give me too much positive reinforcement, but I think that that gives us a little bit of an edge. That's why, you know, people like to, you know, be like, wow, look at this child of immigrants who's able to be successful. You know, white people love to fucking take, you know, take responsibility for everyone's success. But it's like, no, actually, I learned these skills for my parents who had to probably also go through a lot of difficulty. And I had to go through a lot of difficulties and everyone's level of challenges and obstacles that they face are going to vary. But those obstacles really pay off when you get older in a way that I think people who have had very, I want to say privilege, but it's not even privilege. It's a a very white experience. They they don't Mm. deal with it. And so it comes as a shock to them later in life where it's like, No, I knew about that shit when I was like 12. like I I knew that shit was going to happen when I was like fucking five years old. Exactly. Definitely.
1: And I think for like our parents, it's definitely the values that they had growing up. Mm -hmm. I mean, like back in the days is like all about the whole like dream of going to school. You find a husband to get married. You have kids. And maybe somewhere in the process, you have a master's degree or a PhD. Like, that's the value that they had. Like, that's what the world told them they needed to have to succeed. So, like, I think for us, I like, get a bit shocked. Like, wait,
2: my kid is making
1: a lot of money. And like, they don't have a master's degree. Like, what's
0: going on? It's so, yeah. I think it's so unsettling to like, like, I told my mom, cause again, I am still a baby. So I, I, I literally told my mom, I was like, cause she was panicking. I was like, mom, I have this much money in the bank. And she was like, would you get that money from I like, what the <laughs> fuck do you think I got what do you think I'm doing? What do you think that I do? Do you think that I just stare at a wall all day? She's like, I don't know. You're just always taking pictures. I'm like, no, no. I mean, yes. And also I do other stuff. And also like taking pictures is like, I get money for it. Like it's not just for funsies. And she's just like, people pay you. Like she's just like, oh shit. Like, Wait. I like the you Yeah. She's like, oh. she's like, how much do you get paid to post an Instagram story? The fuck? Like she's just like, why are you scamming people? I'm like, I'm not scamming people. This is the industry that I work in and she's like and people are just like cool with it. I'm like, yeah. It they're cool with it and she's like, "Damn. I that's like fucked it. up." I know. For she's sure. like, she's like kind of like, "Damn, that's kind of messed up." Like, so you make more money in one post than people make in a whole month. I'm like, yeah, it's kind of fucked up, but I'm not I'm not complaining. And she's just like I thought you were exaggerating. I'm like, I I I exaggerate certain things for purposes of hilarious storytelling, but not, not this. No. And, and she is just like so confused and I can tell she's impressed, but she doesn't want to say it. She's that, she's that type of lady. She doesn't want me to think that she's super impressed, but I could tell I'm like, I know you're impressed. You can't hide it from me, mama. I know you're impressed, but it's like, I will say like, as soon as you guys, as soon as I found out about Lenore and I, so I went on the website and I looked at it and I was like, this is what the industry is lacking. Mm. And it's like, this is what, you know, even as someone who like, I I don't have an agency, I don't work with managers, I do all my shit. I have to do 7 million extra steps Mm. on 7 million different apps to make sure that I am doing everything that I need to do. So I can only imagine when you're dealing with employees and all of these other things, just keeping track of everything. And like you were saying earlier about going through email threads, like searching on Gmail is not not very... Yeah accurate i'll just put that out there if you think that you'll be able to search your inbox by putting in a keyword and be able to pull up that email i would say nine out of ten times you're not that email is it's gonna you're gonna start to question is this email did it ever happen did this conversation (laughs) ever happen and then you're going through email threads that like they're fucking pages and then towards the ends of the threads they start getting all weird and then the screen you have to scroll it's it's like a whole thing and i'm like oh my god i just need to find this one thing. And it's like, and I'm an organized person. I'm type A, I'm organized, but I really wish there was just one place rather than using my, you know, my, uh, you know, reminders app and my calendar and my notes and, you know, Google calendar, just all of these different things. And to be able to, to run a business regardless of the size or the type or whatever, and have a place where you can like, kind of like have everything in one place. I'm like, that's that, you're fulfilling my type A dreams, I'll be <laughs> honest with you. Um, but I wanna know, like, I know that you mentioned a little bit just because you guys have worked in the fashion industry. So obviously you you have first experience, but like, how did you guys decide, this is what we wanna do? Cause I know when you're coming up with any business or concept, it's so hard to narrow it down and like, just be like, okay, this is what it's going to be because I'm sure there was a lot of other ideas floating around. Mm-hmm. So like, how, what, why do, why were you guys like, this is what Lenore needs to be? Definitely. You know, Lenore was actually, <laughs> the
2: name was used for a diff- different, different um, idea that we, um, Anama had earlier. And then Love it. <laughs> we kind of just brought together a few other ideas that we were thinking. And then the look, when, Anama was actually the one with the idea. And then when we started talking about it more, we started adding more to it. And then it just became clear, this is what we need mm-hmm. to do. Um, again, we are Clubhouse people, so we chat a lot. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but- my people, I found my people. <laughs> it was a, it's an amazing app. So shout out the yeah. Clubhouse creators
0: um, for the connect. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean,
0: honestly like they, they that that is very cute for them and they should probably highlight that uh, if anyone from clubhouse is listening you should do like meet cutes of clubhouse and you should highlight them um i'm just throwing out just promo for you guys i i love i love i love fucking promoing myself and i'll promo everyone else i'll pitch everyone i'm like literally i talk to someone i'm like you know this person you should meet you should talk to them like make connect. i don't know like i just i feel like Like you were saying, like the fashion industry, the tech industry, all these places, they're so, they're so kind of, they all touch. And I think that, you know, you meet so many people and they also are kind of in all of these different fields simultaneously. And it's so cool. And like, especially when you meet all these people from different cultures and backgrounds and stuff, like, I think I love seeing, I love seeing any brand where you know, their identity and their ethnicity is, is a part of it in any way, shape or form. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the shit that I'm like, I, I'm interested, you have my attention. And, and it's not just me. It's, I think a lot of first generation Americans and immigrants, we instantly, like we were saying, it's an instant connection. It's an instant, like, I think you're a good person. Not that I think other people are <laughs> bad people, but it's kind of like, you know, <laughs> I am. You gravitate yeah, towards it, yeah, and, and so like it, it does make me happy to see like two women in this space like create something that I think is super innovative and also like selfishly, I'm like I feel like this will help me, so I'm like <laughs> I'm like it's amazing. But when do you guys have a launch day or? Yeah. Oh yeah, now um, go ahead. <laughs> oh,
1: it's kind of funny you mentioned speaking to like people um because right now we actually talk to brands and um trying to meet as much brands as possible to um understand what their walkthrough process is like and like what we've been noticing is that everybody is kind of experiencing the same thing so um yeah so we launch end of um the end of october so exciting very exciting i know we haven't we don't have a date yet um we're still figuring out that logistics yeah but um the timeline is end of October.
0: Definitely. I mean, I how long, if you don't mind me asking, how long have you guys been like working on this? I'm assuming, so you said COVID, so I have like a general idea. Yeah. Even though COVID does, I have no concept of time anymore. I just, time, time is a construct. COVID has been going on my whole life at this point. So I'm like, Literally. I don't remember life before COVID. Yeah.
2: We've been working, on, uh, working together since uh, late last year. And then, um, we've been building the product since this year, and so we're happy to see everything come into actualization and to be to see it come to life and Now, talking to you and other people, it's very exciting um so yes, October is our launch date, so it's been i guess it will be almost a year coming
0: uh, mm-hmm. yeah yeah a
2: year. <laughs> all right. It's been a
1: very exciting process, especially as, like, young Black women in tech, and I'm trying to navigate, like, starting a tech company is an experience. Definitely.
0: (laughs) And, like, I also, I swear, like, I'll eventually stop asking you guys questions, but as two young Black women in tech, like, do you feel like, and again, I'm asking this question, I already kind of have an idea of the answer, but... What kind of, you know, what kind of pushback have you guys received, if any, and like obstacles that you feel like maybe, you know, someone else who's not a Black woman or, or someone, a person of color would not experience?
2: Um, Abby could go. Yeah.
1: Then I could add on
2: you. Um, So I would say, at least for us, um, and it's funny, we talk about this all the time of how one thing for us, we've grown a lot during this experience. And so even something from a few months ago, we we always say, oh, okay, wow, looking at this with new eyes, we've grown from this. And it's um, there was a time we, we were trying to raise some money to help us invest um, into, back into the business. And so we've had some, like, maybe unconscious bias or... Maybe, oh, we didn't expect it was you guys behind um this application or behind this website, because you know, we'd cold email people. And um, so it's very interesting to see that. Obviously, we try not to dwell on anything, but we do notice that like there is sometimes an unconscious bias, or we have to do a lot of teaching or maybe posture ourselves in a certain way to make it seem like, okay, we know what we're talking about. We've been doing this for a while. We're the ones that are the face um, face of this business, or the we're we're the ones really in it. And so, sometimes people will try to um, not demean um, you, or just try to talk down on you, or yeah. just try to teach you when you already know um, where you're coming. That from. happens a lot. It happens, yeah, like more <laughs> often than not. People like trying to teach us about the
1: industry that we are in. It's like. <laughs> No, this you do not know about like and it's it's sometimes ridiculous and I feel like um as you grow as a founder you can kind of spot these type of personalities and you tend to just like um um not try to interact with them so definitely a, a lot of unconscious bias um and navigating the VC world was new for us as well um, especially as, as, you know, like young black founders in tech. And um, that has been a learning curve. But I think as the months have passed, we have grown so much that like we kind of know firmly what we look for in in um, partners.
2: Yeah, definitely. And actually coming from, because we are also the builders, we're the creators, we're, we wear all these hats. And so... Sometimes you have like um, what some would say, the suits where they would, you know, they come in because they have money and they have their own perspective, but they've never created anything in their whole life. Right. Right. And so, and it's funny from that perspective, oh, you guys should do this, you should do that. But you've never been in our shoes to create or even in our position of, okay, um, Anama and I were bootstrapping. So we actually turned down investments where yeah yeah, so we turned down and obviously it was hard the first time maybe the first time it's difficult the second time was a little bit easier but like it's definitely very difficult to turn down money just because you need to be very careful and wary about where who you're taking money from and where you see your business going and so we're doing it out of pocket and then so some people oh you should do this and there's all these different opinions coming from different sides Sides that you have to almost mute the noise and focus on what your vision is and looking at the long term and so that's one thing that when we say we've grown we looked at it in that perspective maybe when we first started, if someone would have offered us this money, maybe would have taken it right, but now coming from a different perspective coming from after building this, I have a leg to stand on because I've done x, y and z and I'm not coming from a position of, oh, I need help or I need you to help me to do this because I've shown myself that I've been able to walk this far. Maybe it'll be a little bit difficult, but I can do the next, get to the next step. So that has been like the biggest thing for us. Um, And just knowing like what Anama has also said, knowing where other people, um, knowing where the perspective of other people and knowing... Kind of where they stand to be able to make an informed decision um and not just listening to all the noise because there is a lot of noise
0: and i i first of all like i love the way everything you just said like i think that regardless of what your business size is or what you're doing like that is excellent advice honestly because you know for me like i'm my own brand and so i'm really glad like you said it's it is tempting when people are offering you money but you really want to be thoughtful with who you are attaching your name to in whatever capacity, because you want to be intentional. You want to be thoughtful. You want to collaborate. You want to work with other people. Absolutely. But it's like, does this person's beliefs align with my own? Because in the long run, that is something that I've seen so many people struggle with. I've messed up before and worked with a brand and later found out that you know I didn't do enough research and if I had done enough research I would know x y and z but you know we learn from our mistakes and it's it is really really difficult to say no to offers that could help you especially when it's in a monetary form yep. especially when you you know you're putting so much of your own money into it it's hard it's tempting but it's like you have to think about things long-term and how this will reflect on you and your brand and, you know, keep your own vision in mind. Like you said, like block out all of this fucking noise, because at the end of the day, I swear, I will talk to people who have never worked in fashion or in the social media space a day in their life. And yet they have so many suggestions and opinions. Yep. And I'll say it. They're always white men every time without a fucking fail. And I'm just like, what the fuck? You've <laughs> never done this. Why are you giving it's, me marketing tips? Do you understand that I've marketed myself with no management? For you? No I,
1: I kid you not. There's so many opinions and so many people. This is why I say like, it's being a humble person is so great. And because it leaves space for learning. And, um, what we've noticed is that we jump on calls and this person thinks they know more than <laughs> what we know in the space. So it's like, it's, it's like kind of like knowing how to filter all those voices. Um, the person might be saying something that can actually be value add, mm-hmm. but then it's like, it's surrounded by so much noise that, um, you kind of like have to do work to like, this is what, this is the core of what this person is trying to say. Um yeah.
0: Definitely. No, and I I think that that's something that you know in when you're creating your own brand and you're a woman, if you're a black woman especially, but if you are a woman of color or you're a minority, whatever the fuck that means, a marginalized person, <laughs> I guess. It's you're gonna it's it's this again this instant connection every friend I have who works in the same space as me, who is a person of color. Is we? It's it's just we all experience these same things just in different ways. Mm-hmm. And it's like people will always try to talk to you like they're fucking experts. And it's so interesting because that's not what I hear from my friends who work in the space who are white. They're just always talking about like, I have so many jobs right now. Like brands are just like my inbox. I can't keep up with it. Like, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like that's, that's their biggest issue. And my issue was like, how do I explain to this brand that Muslim women are not a monolith? You know what mm, I mean? Like, yeah. how, how do I explain to this brand that mm-hmm. being Arab? Yeah, I know it's in the name of my podcast, but that's just because mm-hmm. I like the way it looks visually. <laughs> Palestinian American Psycho just doesn't, doesn't sound the same as Arab American Psycho, but being Arab and being Palestinian, not the same thing. Just like how being Nigerian, being African, sure, is Nigerian in Africa. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. I've seen a map before, but it's not this all encompassing one thing. And even within Nigeria, there are different groups of people who I'm sure have different dialects and different Mm -hmm. food and different clothing. Mm -hmm. And it's like, explaining that, I will say I am getting to the point where it's a little, like I'm getting a little bit more fucking assholey in my emails. They're not as polite as they once were, you know, there's a little bit more digs thrown in. They're still very PC, but you know, I throw in the digs like, you know, when people uh, will email me and just straight up, just straight up call me by some other random name or assume that I am, this happens to me a lot. Now I'm just going to complain for a second. People, there's another Noor who has a podcast. Mm. Her name is Noor Taguri. Oh, She also works in the fashion space. Oh, yeah. She wears a hijab. She's Libyan. I'm Palestinian. You guys, I'm sure, know that those places are not like the same. Mm-hmm. Um, At least once a week, I get an email wow. where I later found out no, they think I'm more to gory, or I'll get PR in the mail and it's addressed to nor And then I'll email the brand and be like, Hey, not me. Do they change it? Absolutely not. Would Bye. this happen if my name was fucking Kelly, which is, I could think of like 20 Kelly's. Yeah. No, it wouldn't happen to Kelly, but they just, we are to so many people and so many brands and brands that I'm sure that you are probably interacting with in some capacity we're all just kind of the same person and we're very interchangeable. And we are, and it's, it's, it's that part that I think, but it's also, I think what's positive about it is it makes it easier for us to decide who we want to work with mm. because it's so easy to spot this. It's so easy to clock that type of behavior and mentality that it actually makes it easier for us to be like, I don't wanna fucking work with these people. Like, right. you know what I mean? They think I'm interchangeable. They think we're all the same right. person. They're putting me into a box within seconds. I don't want to tie my hard work and my brand and my name to that person. Fuck that. No. And there's power in that. Um, in
2: being able to say no. And, you know, and coming from a position of we always do this, Anama and I, whenever we go to one of these like VC meetings, we always tell ourselves, okay. The position that we're coming in, we're coming from a position of power, and it's not. Oh, we need you. We need your money. Help! 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 No! 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 We know the value that we bring. We know that you also see the value. Otherwise, you wouldn't have agreed with this meeting. And we're coming in strong and <laughs> knowing what we're knowing what we're talking about, and knowing our brand, and knowing what value we bring, and how big this can get. So. Again, it's just recognizing yourself and recognizing your brand as well and just recognizing that I also have a leg to stand on and this is something that people will be interested in. So that's one thing uh that we always tell ourselves in before mm-hmm. any meeting, because again, like you're saying that you clocked that that behavior. We've clocked that behavior as well. So we kind of had to prep ourselves because maybe initially we were a little too nice or maybe, oh, okay, well, what do you think we should do? no, 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 no. Okay. You can say that without having to be condescending, or you can say that without having to be um, demeaning. And so we definitely want to make sure, because also the way you portray yourself is how people would treat you as well. And so if you come in with the confidence of like, and I always say the confidence of a white
0: man, (laughs) 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 I (laughs) don't I'm, I'm telling you, I'm like, who are you, my long lost friends? We <laughs> all I think I've been saying this for fucking ever. I actually literally have an episode where I talk, I mention it like multiple. It's a confidence episode, and I'm like, I live my life. With the entitlement and confidence of a white man in America, that's how I move. <laughs> exactly. That's how I move, and people <laughs> and people respect it. That's the worst fucking yeah. part. It's like that's what they respect. I'm that's like, what they respect. Cool. And you have to come in
2: with that energy.
0: Otherwise, like if
2: you the come energy. in very meek or like oh too nice or too I'm too humble, they would also they. I feel like a lot of these people would take the. um, what is it? I was gonna use the this word, take the piss, if they wanted to. So they would. Just,
0: yeah, no, yeah. no, I mean, I, I get that. Like I said, we're cult, we're all cultured people. We know that expression. We're familiar with it. <laughs> They're gonna make fun of you. Okay, listen. I I swear, it's everything that you're saying is really. I'm so glad that you guys are both bringing these things up because I know that there are so many people listening to this who are in similar fields, and and I think this is the type of thing that we we learn, and and there is so much. Growth in that learning process, but also I think that so many younger people could really like at least ha- be a little bit more prepared than maybe I was, mm-hmm. or maybe I. You know what I mean? Like definitely. And I, and 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 I just think that one of and I told you guys before I'm like one of my favorite things to do is is highlight brands or companies that are run by women of color. I just that's the shit that makes me feel so proud, like instantly, like without even having spoken to you. And then after speaking to you, I'm like, I was right. I love them. Um, but like, <laughs> it's, it's this really amazing thing. And I, and I, I feel like the more we all kind of are there for each other, the stronger that we become and the more power that we hold and not in like a selfish, like I want more power. Just like, I want us all to have more power where we don't have to, you know, do X, Y, Z in order to be treated with respect where we could just really fully. And, and I do think that the entitlement and the the privilege of a white man ideology, it, it is effective. It really is. And that's why I tell people fucking do that because it unfortunately works. If you show a, a company that you value yourself, they respond to you as if you have value. Exactly. And if you approach them as if they have something that you need, as if I every conversation I have with any brand it's just like I know my value. That's why you're talking to me. So what are we going to do here? Cuz it needs to be mutually mm-hmm. beneficial. And if it's in any way shape or form more beneficial to you, I'm going to negotiate to make sure that not only is it going to be equal, I want more. Yep. Because because you're trying to you're trying to have more control and I'm not No, no, no. We're not doing that. And it's exactly. just like kind of being confident in yourself, whatever, whatever it is that you're doing is just the way you present it, that dictates a response, especially when you're dealing with these large corporations who really feel like they know everything and Definitely. they feel like they have, you know, um, all of these like years of experience, which that does hold value. But I also think like younger generations – we we know this shit we grew up you taught yourself coding yeah like i was building websites at an age where like i had no business building a website but it's yes. like you grow up on the computer <laughs> and you just you're bored i lived in the united arab emirates i was like what the fuck i'm going to build a website like so it's just it's you know it's that type of thing that you, i really do think gives it, that experience counts. And it's so weird to think about like, oh, the little Barbie websites that I was making when I was 11, <laughs> that gives me value. But it, it does. It's a skill that I honed in on at a young age, just like how, Ona, you started a brand at 15, which is fucking incredible. And I feel like that in itself could be a whole episode. <laughs> yeah. <day>. I'm like, <laughs> I, I don't, I, I know if I start asking you about that, it will be a whole episode, but yeah, I feel
1: like- 100%. <laughs>
0: You guys are just incredible. And I I know that Lenore is gonna be successful and I can't wait for it to launch. And it's been honestly, even though I sound like I'm dying, I'm fine, guys. (laughs) I have bronchitis. I don't have COVID. Um, but I've enjoyed talking to you guys so much and I want I want I really, really, really can't wait for us to all meet in person now. But um I do want you guys to plug all of your things. I know that you guys are private on Instagram yeah. even though I for- I literally forced them. I was like what are your instagrams like give them to me um, but no I want you to plug everything and and then I'll have whatever you guys plug I'll have it in the episode description perfect um so you can follow us at
2: www.lenore.io. yeah lenore.io that's it so lenore is l a n o r and um you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at uh, Get Lenore, um, and so that's where you guys can find us. And do we want to plug our personal <laughs> Instagrams?
0: <laughs> Listen, not not to be I a white not to be a white man, but I was going to be like, you guys should really utilize your personal Instagrams to boost your brand. No, <laughs> not me. Just coming in here being like, hey, I have a plan. Yeah. Here's what you should do.
1: It's something we actually had a conversation about. I was like, wait, our accounts I private?
2: <laughs> yeah, we definitely need to work on um, personal branding because it's something that we struggle with um, as well because sometimes when you're building a business, you have your business and then I'm different from the business. Don't try to associate me. But I do definitely think it's beneficial. Um, and that's something that um, we're open to. Um, my Instagram is uh, K. O-O-L yeah. underscore A-D-1. So that's cool underscore A-D-1. And Anama's Instagram. Yeah, uh, mine is
1: O-N-A-N-M-A dot O K E K. Anama K-K. and Yeah, yeah, yeah. With we're just a dot in the middle, technically.
0: <laughs> Amazing. I'm so glad. I feel like I just bullied you guys somehow. I don't know. I was like, share your fucking share your Instagram account. Um- and as always, guys, you can um, follow the podcast on Instagram at Arab American Psycho, where you will see lovely photos of the two of them, although they do not have a photo together. But I will, I'm going to somehow facilitate them to get a photo together. Uh, and then as always, you can follow me on Instagram where there is no shortage of photos of me. There's almost too many photos of me. And um, it's, it's a lot. It's really a shrine for, for everyone to enjoy. Uh, as always, guys. Lost your teeth, wear your sunscreen, don't be a fucking asshole. I'll talk to you next Sunday. (laughs)